Again, it is so good to see you, uh, Community Fellowship family online. Even though I can't see you, I'm trusting that you can see me. And uh, I was joking earlier this week that uh, I was going to tell our members, you know, this, this technology thing works two ways. Now that I'm streaming on your television, uh, I can see which one of you actually dressed up for church today and which one of you just woke up and are still sitting in your pajamas. So, uh, but again, thank you really for, for joining us today. This is a new venture for us, and, uh, and we're certainly uh, thankful that we have the opportunity and capability uh, to stream a service online uh, we live in some crazy days. Uh, you know, really, the world has changed in the last week. And uh, first and foremost, I want to give Jesus Christ all the glory. Uh, he's still on the throne, and I'm thankful uh, that, that no matter what happens, uh, we can have the assurance of, of tomorrow because we know him. And so I'm thankful for that. I also want to just give a shout-out to our tech team. Uh, they're doing an amazing job this week just getting everything up and running and uh, to be able to live stream to our church family and all of those that maybe maybe not part of Community Fellowship, but but they're, they're joining us online today. Uh, and we really do appreciate you uh, just joining. And we pray the Word of God has a, a tremendous impact in your life today. And so, uh, man, wow, we live in some unprecedented times. And uh, literally, our world has changed in the matter of a week, week and a half. Uh, terms like COVID-19, quarantine, social distancing, flattening the curve... And pandemic are now part of our daily vocabulary. And uh, also, toilet paper is the new currency, and homeschooling is the newest trend. And so, wow, what, a, what an amazing shift in our culture in, in just a few short days. You know, it, it, it is a re realization for us. Uh, we certainly, many of us would say we're uncomfortable right now, uh, and times maybe are uncertain and perilous. Uh, I'm thankful that the Bible assures us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that God Almighty is the God of all comfort. And I want to read just a, a passage to you, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 4. The Bible says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And so, and so this morning as we begin, I want to re just reiterate what the Scriptures say. God is the God of all comfort. And maybe if you're streaming today and you would say, man, this, this week, this last couple of days has been really uncomfortable socially, uh, emotionally, mentally, even spiritually, uh, I want to assure you today that God is the God of all comfort. And he's not the God of some comfort or a little comfort. He's actually the God of all comfort. And I'm thankful for that. And, and the Bible also tells us in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, it says, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. And so God is the God of all comfort. But listen, this, this word of God, these scriptures, well, they give us comfort as well. God relegates his comfort through his word, through his scriptures. And in times of uncertainty, uh, the one place that we should always turn back to is the word of God. And so this morning, uh, you know, I really was praying this week, Lord, how do I, how do I even preach uh, virtually? Uh, what do I preach in, in times of uncertainty? And I really felt like the Lord would have us uh, begin a, a series. We don't know how long this is going to last in our church or in our culture or community. And so I really was praying and just asking God, God, give me wisdom to, to understand your heart and will. And uh, I kept coming back to the book of Colossians. And, you know, the book of Colossians talks about the supremacy of Christ. But I'll go a step further and say that it talks about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Because supremacy without application means that you don't have sufficiency. And I want you to understand today that Jesus Christ is sufficient 
for all things in our heart and life. He, he is sufficient because he is supreme. And so this morning, uh, if you're not maybe used to community fellowship or it's been a while since you visited, uh, it's time to go grab your Bible. All right, so uh, if you're sitting on the couch or sitting in the, in the chair, grab your Bible, grab a pen. Uh, on our Facebook page, we have a link to sermon notes because we actually uh, want to get to work in the Word of God this morning as we begin a series out of the book of Colossians called The Sufficiency of Christ. And this morning is really just an introduction to the book. And, and I feel like as we study this the next several weeks, probably because we're going to be studying together virtually uh, through Facebook and through YouTube, uh, it is important that we set the, the tone of, of where we're going the next several weeks. And so uh, as we get into this little epistle of Colossians, uh, I'd like you to turn in your Bible there. If you've got a Bible with you or pull it up on your phone, that'd be awesome. Uh, the church at Colossae is a very interesting church. In the Word of God, and 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 that epistle that Paul penned through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God uh, is a is a powerful epistle for us in these last days, if you will. Uh, Ephesus was a city that was about a hundred miles from Colossae, and the Apostle Paul himself didn't go to Colossae. He did not plant that church, uh, the Church of the Colossians. However. Paul spent a, a good amount of time in Ephesus. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter nineteen. In verse 10, the Bible tells us that he was there for at least a space of two years, probably three years total. And the Bible says that through the ministry there at Ephesus, all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And so what that means is what, what began as a tremendous revival in Ephesus had a, an, a reaching effect into all the area of Asia and that area of Colossae, and Laodicea would have been a, an extension of the ministry of what God was doing in Ephesus. You know, one of the reasons this book is important for us, especially as Christians in what I believe is, is the last days, is that in the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ wrote seven letters to seven different churches. And we understand that, that as we study the Bible, that those churches were legitimate historical churches that, that existed in, in, in the Apostle John's day, those, those were real churches with real congregations, real pastors, real people just like you. And yet Jesus Christ wrote to those seven churches specific things that dealt with each church. But as we study those churches, we also see that there is, there's an overview of the entire history of, of, of the church age or the dispensation of grace, if you will. Uh, and, and so doctrinally speaking... Those seven churches also paint a picture for us for the totality of the church age. And the reason that's important is because the very last church that Jesus Christ writes to is the church of the Laodiceans. And, and many of you have, have read the passage in Revelation chapter 3. Uh, that is the one church that, that the Lord Jesus Christ didn't have anything positive to say, unfortunately. It was all negative. It, it was a call to repentance because that church had deceived its own self. Its view of itself was certainly superior to what Jesus Christ viewed it as. As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14, you know, the Bible says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, for thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And again, this is the last church, the, the church that, that literally ends Revelation chapter 3. And as Revelation chapter 4 begins, the Apostle John is, is caught up into the Spirit on the Lord's day. 
And it's a tremendous picture for us of the rapture of the church. You say, why is that important, Jay? Because, because that city of Laodicea is only mentioned in the book of Revelation and in the book of Colossians. And, and, and that, that church of the Laodiceans and that city of Laodicea certainly historically has significance. But it paints for us a doctrinal picture of, of the state of the church in these last days in preparation for the rapture. And Colossians chapter 4 and verse 16, as Paul winds down this epistle to the Colossians, he says, and when this epistle is read among you, in other words, among the Colossians, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And, and I just want to make the point that the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit of God wanted to make sure that this epistle of the Colossians was read to the church of the Laodiceans and doctrinally, listen, we as, as local New Testament churches in these last days, uh, literally at the end of the church age, this is a book for us that really is a book to take heed to. It has specific instruction for us to maintain our integrity and our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ in these last days preceding the rapture of the church. And I'll just say, by the way, the very next epistle in your Bible after the book of Colossians is the book of 1 Thessalonians, which very clearly communicates the truth of the rapture of the church and the resurrection of the dead to be with Jesus Christ forever. And so it's going to be Bible study this morning, and so I hope you're ready this morning, and I hope you have your Bible ready and, and your notes ready and uh, this morning, I want to start with the first point, and the first point is this. We want, to, we want to open this series looking at the conflict that the Apostle Paul had for the Colossians, the conflict that Paul had for the Colossians. Now, Colossians 1 tells us that the Apostle Paul and Timothy are the ones that are, that are writing to this church. Obviously, the, the Holy Spirit of God is inspiring these men to, 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 to communicate these words to this church. But in Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, there's a very interesting section of, of, of Scripture. Paul says in Colossians 2, verses 1 and 2, I would that you would know what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted and knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. And if you skip down to verse 5 in your Bible, Paul also says, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. And so I want to begin by talking about Paul's conflict for the Colossians because I'm going to just tell you it's the same conflict that every pastor is experiencing this Sunday morning. Paul was not with the church of Colossae. He never got there in the flesh. He didn't plant this church, and yet he had conflict in his heart and in his spirit to be with them and to encourage them and to equip them. And, 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 and he wanted to see their hearts comforted. Paul was writing this epistle from Rome, imprisoned, and, and yet he had conflict for the saints of God. He was imprisoned, and, and you could even say isolated, if you will, but he was not incapacitated. He had a burden for the ministry and wanted to see God do something in these believers' lives. And, and there's not a pastor this morning that doesn't share that conflict 
uh, with their church family. Man, I'm thankful for our team that's here, and uh, I've got somebody to preach to this morning, uh, and I'm thankful that I can preach to you online. Uh, but man, uh, my heart desires to see us in the flesh. And so, and so right now we're in a season of conflict, and you know, the Apostle Paul, you know, he was conflicted in his inner man for this church. And, and, he, and he desired to see them. And, and, I, and I want you to know from the, the, the Word of God that in the midst of conflict in these days, it is possible, number one, to have joy. It's possible to have joy in the midst of conflict. And by the way, Paul says, you know what, even though I'm not with you in the flesh, you know, here's my desire. It's to be with you, but I'm not with you. I am with you in spirit. And the first thing he says in Colossians 2 and verse 5 is that he is joying. He's rejoicing for these believers. And I just want to tell you, listen, the joy of any pastor is the people that he pastors. It's the people that he pastors. And, and especially in these days, now more than ever, man, the joy of the ministry is the people that we have the opportunity to build relationships with and invest the Word of God into. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1, again, Paul writing to the Philippians, he says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I just want you to know that Paul had a conflict in, in, in the inward man to be with his brethren. And listen, many of the saints of God through, through many different churches right now are separated and, and, and we're not able to assemble just yet. And listen, the devil knows that there's a great opportunity for discouragement instead of joy. And I want you to understand, listen, God can give us Joy in the midst of our separation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19, Paul says, For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye, you all, in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? And I just want to tell you, man, joy comes from the people of God, the brethren, the beloved, those that we long to see in the flesh. And now more than ever, it's important to realize that the power of community in the body of Christ is something that we can rejoice in. And listen, we, we don't want to be idiots. We want to obey our, our governmental authorities and all those different things. But listen, the body of Christ has always been and will always be called and commissioned to assemble. And, and you, have to, you have to rejoice in the people of God and in the midst of conflict. And even if that means just two or three families gathering together, even if that means virtually getting online and connecting with other disciples of Jesus Christ, listen, you can have joy in the midst of conflict. The second thing that we learn from Paul is that in the midst of conflict, number two, it is possible to observe order. And he says that in verse 5. You know, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 5, Paul says, look, I, I'm rejoicing, I'm joying with you in the Spirit. And then he's observing their order. And, and I want you to understand that God is a God of order, not disorder. And, and listen, that is why even in these days of what the world would say is an uncertainty and perilous times, listen, the church of Jesus Christ has a great opportunity because in the midst of chaos and disorder, well, there ought to be some decency and order, and, and, and the people that should manifest that is none other than the church of Jesus Christ. We, we ought to manifest an orderly behavior that's decent and that pleases the Lord. Listen, Colossae was a city and a church that Paul commended, I can observe, I see your order. 
Even though I'm conflicted for you, your testimony is that you're still orderly. You know, Colossae wasn't Corinth. Corinth had some problems. If you, re- if you read the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, listen, that church had some issues. Now, you know, thank God community fellowship doesn't have any issues. But, but you know, if we were like Corinth, we would have issues. It says in, in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 34, it says, If any man hunger, let him eat at home, and that you, you come not together unto condemnation. And the rest, Paul says, I will set in order when I come. It was a church that was tremendously blessed. It had tremendous spiritual gifts. They were immature, and they were carnal, and they were disorderly. And it had a bad testimony, so much so that the Apostle Paul said, when I get there, I'm going to need to set some things in order. So listen, Colossae wasn't like Corinth, and Colossae wasn't like Crete. Another area where the Apostle Paul ministered, and, and, and the ministry was so demanding that in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, the Bible tells us that Paul sent Titus and left him in Crete. And specifically, he left him in Crete that he should set in order the things that are wanting and to ordain elders in every city as the Apostle Paul appointed him. You know what? Listen, the beautiful thing about this church of Colossae was it's a church of order. It had a testimony that reached back to even Paul in Rome in prison that this was an orderly church. And you got to ask the question, how come it was so orderly? And I think the answer is because they had a, a good pastor. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 7, that there was a man named Epaphras, and he is a fellow servant and faithful minister of Christ, and he led those people rightly. He taught them the Word of God. He taught them to have decency and order. And, and listen, church, community fellowship, now is the time. Now is the time to be a church of, not of order, disorder, not of chaos, not of confusion, but a church of order. So that people can see the testimony of Christ and God Almighty in our lives and through our lives. That we maintain order because God is a God of order, not of disorder and confusion. Well, thirdly, what we see from Paul is in the midst of conflict, not only can we have joy and observe order, but then number three, in the midst of conflict, the reality is it's a time for steadfastness. It's a time for steadfastness. And, and again, this is a testimony that Paul gives these Colossians, and he says, man, I'm observing, I'm observing your steadfast, the steadfastness of your faith. It's observable. That word steadfastness, it, it means firm. It means solid, strong, strengthened. And, you know, if you compare Scripture with Scripture, you're going to land in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where the Bible says in verse 58, Paul again writing to the Corinthians, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And and I'll tell you, church, listen, this is the time more than ever that we need to be steadfast in our faith in Acts chapter 2, the Bible tells us of the early church at, at Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost. And the Bible tells us that after they were filled with the Spirit of God, that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. In other words, their faith was lived out in a very visible way, in real way. And listen, church, our, our steadfastness to Bible doctrine in these days is so important. 
We need to be more about Bible doctrine than we've ever been before. And that means that you need to get discipled. That means that you need to sign up for a class with LFBI and some of our Living Faith Fellowship churches. Listen, our, our, our steadfastness in fellowship needs to be steadfast more than it ever has been before. It needs to be unmovable. You say, Jay, they have, they have laws against that right now. Okay, well, use, use your wisdom, use your common sense. But at some point, the Word of God tells us to assemble. And how we assemble and, 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 and what that looks like may change as we move forward. But listen, if you're involved in biblical discipleship, let me encourage you, keep discipling. If, if you have home groups going right now and you're following in the governmental standards and, and listen, you're safe and you're using common sense and you're washing your hands and all those things, listen, it is time to be steadfast in Christian fellowship. Why? Because the body of Christ is always called to be together. Man, it's, it's, stead, it's time to be steadfast in the breaking of bread at the Lord's table. It's time to be steadfast in prayer like never before. And listen, God cleared our schedules. He took away our sports. He took away our, our busyness. He put us home. You know what he did? He actually put us a little bit closer to a prayer closet that we haven't visited in a long time. God put us back home and given, given us time now to get in the Word of God and, and to spend time meditating on these things and learning these things. And listen, I'm thankful that you're streaming today. You may not stream next week. I don't know. But I'm thankful you're here. But, but listen, it's time to be steadfast. It's time to be steadfast as the church of Jesus Christ. And listen, there are pastors literally all over this planet with the same conflict that the Apostle Paul had for the Colossian believers. He wanted to be with them in the flesh. He wanted to assemble with them. He wanted to comfort them from the Word of God and to equip them for the work of the ministry. Well, now more than ever, church, it's time to be who God's called us to be. We can rejoice in conflict. We can have order that's observable. And then number three, we can have steadfastness. And uh, I hope you're not asleep yet because the second point is, I want to talk about the character of these Colossian believers. The character of these Colossian believers. And if you go back to chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, God gives us some interesting introduction uh, as, he, as he opens this epistle about who these guys really were in Colossae. And, I, and let me just read verses 1 to 5. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, listen to this, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the world, excuse me, in the word of truth of the gospel. And so listen, word got out about the character of this Colossian, these Colossian believers. Listen, listen. their testimony preceded them so much so, again, that Paul in prison heard about their, their, their integrity and their legitimacy as disciples of Christ. Uh, three things that I think are important. Number one, they had a faith in Jesus Christ. And what that does is it points to their past redemption. They had a faith in Jesus Christ, and that points to when they came to the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, the Bible tells us, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And, and I want to encourage you, church, listen, every person under the sound of my voice this morning ought to be able to remember a time in the past 
where you personally came to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, where you recognized that you were a sinner separated from God, where you recognized that your sin deserved the punishment of eternal damnation and separation from Jesus Christ and from God. It is what we deserved as sinners. There had to be a point where you understood that your sin required a Savior. And listen, for me, that was at the age of 21. You know, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't, I didn't live stream services into my living room or on my cell phone. Listen, we, we uh, didn't have that kind of testimony as a family. But at the age of 21, uh, uh, one of my best friends in, in college shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with me. And he showed me how I could be saved from my sin through, through faith in the finished work of Christ. These Colossians, man, listen, they had faith. And it, and it was a testimony to other people They were verbal about their past redemption. They were verbal that they had received the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friend, let me ask you, have you? Have you received it? And and listen, maybe you're streaming today and you say, Jay, this is the first time I'm checking in, checking things out. Listen, today's the greatest day for you to get saved. You know, there's no guarantee of tomorrow. But what is guaranteed is that Jesus Christ has made provision for you through his shed blood on the cross of Calvary. And you can be forgiven by faith. You don't have to do anything. It's not a work. You can't be good enough or do enough good works. It's only by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you haven't made that decision, let me encourage you to do that today. You can ask Christ to save you from your sin. But the second thing that these Colossians demonstrated in their character was their love for all the saints. So, so they had a past redemption a point in time where they asked Christ to become their Lord and Savior, but they had a present resource, and that was their love for all the saints. And now more than ever, church, we need to be walking in love, especially brotherly love, to those of the household of God. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 says this, Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Hebrews 13 and verse 1 says this, Let brotherly love continue, not cease. Don't let corona cease brotherly love. It's to continue. And by the way, love isn't a feeling. Love is an action. As a matter of fact, many of you know this this verse, John 3, 16. The Bible tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. Love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's an action. And listen, in these present days, the present resource that we have to survive the times and seasons in which we are in is the present resource of brotherly love. It's the Christian's call to love his brother and love his sister in Christ and let brotherly love continue. And then thirdly, these Colossians, their character spoke of their hope. Number three, their hope that was laid up in heaven. And that's the future rapture. I mean, that's what these guys were looking for. That's what their hope was in. Their hope was in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church. You know, the Bible tells us in, in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, looking for that blessed hope. Hope for the Christian is not some abstract hope. Hope for the Christian is the assurance that God is going to do what God said he's going to do. It's the assurance that we have that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back for us looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Church, listen, uh, the Christian's hope is not in this world. It's not in a cure to COVID-19 
It's not in wealth. It's not in health. It's not in prosperity. The Christian's hope is in Christ. It's in Christ. And no matter, no matter what happens in this world, I, our assurance is that in Christ we are secure. We have hope. And so listen, these Colossians had a testimony. And, and I put this in your notes if you're following online or, or on your, on your, on your uh, digital notes. Listen, who you really are in Christ is going to be found out. It probably already has been this week. And, you know, we want to have the testimony that the Colossian believers had. We want to have a, a, a past redemption. We want to walk in a present resource, brotherly love, and we want to have hope in the future coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that will change the way you shop for toilet paper, quite honestly, this week. Because who you are in Christ is going to be found out. Well, number three, as we introduce this book of Colossians, I want to show you the couriers of this epistle, and we're almost done this morning, the couriers of, of this epistle to the Colossians. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 to 9, there, there are two men that are mentioned. And these two men were actually responsible for taking this epistle from the Apostle Paul to the Colossians. And I think there's an interesting truth that we can learn from this passage. Colossians 4 and verse 7 says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, and they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. And so, and so the Apostle Paul, through this epistle, again, calls to mention two men that are, that are a key part of his ministry team. Uh, let me just say this. Paul never ministered alone. Paul always ministered with other people. He won people to Christ. He discipled them. They became a part of the ministry that God had called him to do. And so this first man, his name is Tychicus. And his name literally means to hit the mark uh, or to attain, which is a pretty awesome uh, name, by the way. In, in Ephesians, his name is also mentioned again. He's, he's one of the converts from the ministry in Asia, according to Acts chapter 20 and verse 4. But in Ephesians chapter 6... Paul calls this man a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord. And so much so that he, Paul entrusted to send him to different locations to teach people about the scriptures and to remind people about Paul and to update them. I mean, he was a faithful brother and he was beloved. And then this other man that's introduced to us is named Onesimus. And listen, some of you know the story of Onesimus. He was a servant of a man named Philemon. As a matter of fact, there's, a, there's an epistle in your Bible named Philemon. And Paul, this, this servant, left his master and somehow crossed paths with the Apostle Paul. Well, that's a dangerous thing to do because when you cross paths with Paul, you're going to be exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, that ought to be a testimony for every one of us that are believers. Man, when people cross our paths, uh, we owe them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this, this servant becomes a believer in Christ. And in Philemon, verses 10 and 11, Paul is writing back to, to Philemon, and he mentions this man named Onesimus. And he says in verse 10, I beseech thee for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. In other words, while I'm in prison, I've led this guy to Christ. And he says to, to Philemon, hey, in time past, uh, he was unprofitable to you. Uh, he's a loser. He's kind of a deadbeat. Didn't do what you asked him to do. And then he ran off and he fled. 
But now, listen, now he's profitable to thee and to me. And what we see in Onesimus' life is really what we see in our own lives. Listen, when we're lost in our sin and we're separated from God, the truth is we are unprofitable. We're unprofitable servants for God. We can't do anything for God. God can't use us to do anything. We're unprofitable. But when we come to Christ, well, all of a sudden we become profitable for him and for the ministry to, to take the things of God and to steward the things of God to other people And what we see in this passage is two men that are now trusted with the responsibility to carry the epistle of Colossae from Paul to the Colossians. They are faithful brethren and beloved. And here's the key principle you got to get down this morning. Paul's imprisonment didn't incapacitate his ministry. And the reason why is because Paul made disciples of Jesus Christ. Paul's imprisonment didn't incapacitate his ministry because he had made disciples of Jesus Christ. And listen, uh, we were talking last week, man, what do we do in our churches? Because, you know, things are kind of crazy right now. They're telling us we can't meet. They're telling us to to avoid social interaction. And so now it seems like our, our church family is just spread and dispersed and scattered. And I told someone, you know what, I'm really not a whole lot worried about that. And the reason why is because at this church, we, by the grace of God, we've been able to see disciples made. And in our isolation and in our imprisonment and whatever God may allow to happen in our lives, listen, it won't incapacitate the ministry because disciples of Jesus Christ have now been shaken from the salt shaker. And they're all over our communities. They're in our neighborhoods. They're, they're, they're on our jobs still. Listen, and we are called, just like Tychicus and Onesimus, we're called to deliver as faithful brethren, we're called to deliver God's words to the intended audience. That, that's what we're called to do, church. And so we learn from, from these couriers uh, an example of faithfulness to take the things of God to the intended audience. And, and I want to encourage you, church, again, God's put you in your home, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your city to have an impact for Christ. And, and you have a Bible, and, and most of you have a discipleship manual. And so you have all you need. You have all you need. And uh, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds it. And we can be faithful with the ministry until he comes. The last thing I want to share with you this morning before we dismiss is this, the concern for the believers at Colossae. You know, you know this epistle opens with some tremendous blessings regarding this church and uh, the things that they were doing right and uh, their testimony and their character that was made known among men that, that made its way all the way back to Rome. But, you know, the Apostle Paul was so conflicted for this church. Not only did he compliment them, but he had two significant concerns, I believe, as you study this epistle. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he had some concerns for this church, just like the church of the Laodiceans have in these last days. Number one... Paul had a concern that they would be beguiled, that they would be beguiled. In other words, that they would be deceived. And and again, please understand the doctrinal significance of this book. It, It is the book for the church in these last days. It is the book for the church to pay attention to right before the rapture of the church. And listen, now more than ever, there is a concern for the church of Jesus Christ that that it's being beguiled. 
Colossians chapter 2 and verse 4 says this, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Paul's concern for the church was that other words would come into their ears and deceive them from the simplicity that's in Christ. In Colossians 2 and verse 18, he says, Let no man beguile you of your reward and voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. You know, the Apostle Paul had a legitimate concern. It's the same concern most pastors have for their churches in these last days, that, that the, the body of believers in Jesus Christ would be deceived and beguiled through other words, through vain, vain philosophy, vain deceit. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that when he preached, he didn't use enticing words of man's wisdom. And, uh, and I'm thankful that I can identify with a guy like that because I don't know big words. Uh, being from South Alabama, the vocabulary is a little limited, but praise God, uh, God can use that as well. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4 that my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And so listen, church, listen, there is a concern for, for us as community fellowship, for all local churches in these last days. There's a concern from Jesus Christ Almighty that we would be beguiled and deceived with enticing words, so much so that it moves us away from truth, and so much so that it moves us away from our reward. And I think God wants us to understand this morning, now more than ever, it's time to get in the book. Now more than ever, it's time to get in a church that teaches and preaches the rightly divided whole counsel of the Word of God, not to listen to enticing words of man's wisdom, but listen to where the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the truth of God and the power of God is evident among the body of Christ. It's important, church. The second concern that Paul had not only was, was that that church would be beguiled, but number two, he was concerned they would lose their reward. And again, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 18, the Bible says, Let, man, let no man beguile you of your reward. And in verse, chapter 3 and verse 24, he says, Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. You know, the reality is that, that Paul knew that those Colossians one day would stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And they would give an account from, from the time that they got saved until the time that either the rapture happened or until the time the Lord took them home, that they would give an account of their life and their faithfulness in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And the beautiful thing is that we have the privilege not only to be saved and to be with the Lord forever, but we even have the opportunity to be rewarded for how God uses us and how, how we allow God to use us in these days. Paul said, don't blow it. In these last days, his concern for the Colossians was, don't blow it in these last days. Don't be the guy that sells out in these last days and loses your reward at the judgment seat of Christ. You know, the Bible tells us lastly in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, Paul says, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve. That happened back in the Garden of Eden through his subtlety, so that your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. You know, the truth is, this Christian life, it, it's not necessarily easy, but the simplicity 
in Christ, it really is simple. We need to understand the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that is the message that, number one, if you've never received, you want to you put your faith and trust in Christ today and ask Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. But secondly, if you are under the sound of my voice today and you know Christ as Lord and Savior, listen, today is the day to tell someone else about Jesus. Today is the day to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to your neighbor, to, to, your, to your company, to your home, to your family. Today is the day to communicate what God has entrusted you with to other people. And, and, and then thirdly, it's still time to make disciples. It's still time to make disciples. Church, listen, we, the Great Commission is still in effect. No matter if the coronavirus is, is taking all the media and all the news, the Great Commission supersedes all of that. And it's really simple. And, and, and my admonition to our church and to any other believer in Christ watching is, man, don't lose it in these last days. Don't be beguiled. And don't lose your reward. Stay faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Anticipate the judgment seat of Christ. And stay faithful to him because he's certainly faithful to us. Church, I love you very much. Let me pray and, uh, and we'll dismiss. And we ask you to join us again next week. And God bless you so much. Father, we love you. Thank you again for, for just uh, a wonderful time in your word. Uh, Lord, thank you for all those that have, have been streaming. And uh, Lord, I pray that the word of God would not return void. Your word promises that it won't return void. And so, Lord, if there's someone listening today that, that, that has not settled their, their accounts with you, Lord, they need to be saved. Father, may right now, by faith, they call on Jesus Christ to save them from their sin. Father, for some of us, we may be Christians, we may be born again, but we're just kind of inactive in the ministry that you've called us to do, and especially now because of the uncertainty of our days. God, maybe today you would, you would shake up and, 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 uh, and reinvigorate the saints of God so that we can be about your business. Lord, help us to reach our communities. God, as you've taken the salt out of the salt shaker and dispersed it and scattered it throughout our neighborhoods and our communities and our cities, may, may a great harvest take place, Father, for your glory's sake. And, and it may not ever get media attention. And Father, our churches may, may be different moving forward from this time forward. We don't know what the, the future holds, but we trust that if we're still here, we have work to do. The Great Commission is still in effect. And so, Father, bless us today as we try to walk in obedience to that, God. Thank you again for the technology. Thank you again for these people that have served to make this happen. God, bless Community Fellowship Baptist Church as we try to make disciples of all nations, including right here in Huntsville, Alabama. We love you, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.